Let's start. I'm good to start now. Yes. Yeah. Hello, everyone. Um, you are listening to Vichar, the official podcast of Azad Awaz. Azad Awaz is a monthly magazine published by the Center for New Economic Studies of the OP Jindal Global University. We aim to uh, produce the voice of the marginalized and we aim to amplify the voices of the marginalized through our issue. We have previously worked on issues relating to caste, gender, tribal issues. And if you are here for the first time, I would request you to please check our work. This time we did a two-part issue focusing on the senior citizens of this country. The March issue uh, focused on the social and political issues faced by the senior citizens of this country. And this time for this April's issue, we are focusing on the financial and the economic issues of this country, of especially the senior citizens of this country. And to discuss, uh, these, um, discuss this phenomenon of inequality and to discuss how it plays into uh, accessibility of healthcare facilities of senior citizens of India. Uh, Azad Awaz and Vichar is proud to host Dr. Indranil Mukhopadhyay. Professor Indranil Mukhopadhyay is the, official, is the Associate Professor at OP Jinder Global University. He has 15 years of research and training experience in the area of health economics and healthcare financing. He has been a research scientist and research assistant professor at Public Health Foundation of India, New Delhi, where he was also the Wellcome Trust postdoctoral fellow from 2015 to 17. He has been a visiting professor at prestigious universities such as Dr. B.R. Ambedkar University, New Delhi, the Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi, and Tata Institute of Social Sciences, Mumbai. He's also been a part of the World Health Organization Expert Group of National Health Accounts in Asia and Pacific region. He's also had several research studies funded by the Department of Science and Technology Government of India. And he has also involved himself in researches by the World Health Organization. And he has published several issues and several articles in international and national publications. Some of his areas of interest include health systems, health economics, healthcare financing, national accounts, impact evaluation of health programs and inequalities. He has done his, uh, he has done his bachelor's, in, uh, bachelor's of Sciences in the University of Calcutta and he has done his MA and PhD from uh, Jawaharlal Nehru University, New Delhi. So sir, we are happy to have you and we are happy to host you in today's Vichar. How are you, sir? Thanks, Siddharth, for uh, hosting me. It's a great pleasure for me. Quite an elaborate uh, introduction, which I knew I could have given you a shorter bio, but thanks uh, for inviting. I'm good, I'm good. Hope you all are doing good, uh, the hosts and the listeners. Uh, it's a very difficult time for all of us, but yeah, it's a, um, thank you. Thank you, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you so much, sir. Let's get into our questions. Uh, so, yes, uh, so we have structured our questions thematically. Um, so we are going to discuss the first theme, which is on senior citizens, medical indebtedness, and especially the insurance market. Hmm. Um, we all know that uh, insurance, as, as, as far as we have seen, is... Um, you know, we have seen in so many advertisements in media and we have seen the insurance market is pretty huge in India. 
but according to a report by the Public Health Foundation of India, about 55 million Indians are dragged into poverty in a single year due to patient care costs. And India's health-related out-of-pocket expenditure, which pushes families into indebtedness and deeper poverty, is among the world's highest. In fact, a data says a staggering 39% do not receive any medical attention before death. And an annual study by the health services company Cigna showed that a whopping 62% of Indians paid from their own pockets for their medical expenses in 2016. This is considering how we've perceived insurance markets as being one of the robust systems and one of the ways through which many public policy professionals have seen to be an a way to reduce uh, financial inequality and financial insecurity uh, when it comes to paying and having access to medical expenditures, right? Uh, so in your article, uh, Tax Finance Health Systems in India, you actually written that over-dependence on OOP expenditure in India is sparked by high inequity, which could result in catastrophic circumstances in, uh, and impoverishment. So, how does access to healthcare and capacity for healthcare expenditure and the financial impact of product expenditure differ among individuals based on factors such as age, gender, class, and residence? So let I mean, let's just first understand the problem before we get into the way such as how the insurance markets plays. But let's just um, try to understand how these factors play a role when it comes to medical indebtedness and financial insecurity. Definitely, Siddharth, it's a very, very important issue. And, you know, if I uh, want to put the context a bit farther and elaborate on some of the data you have shown, this 55 mi million uh, people getting impoverished every year because they need to pay from their own pocket for their healthcare needs, it's a, it's a significant uh, indicator it shows the extent of catastrophe you know uh, the 55 million uh, is pop more than population of 190 countries of the world uh, so it's a, a staggering uh, number that uh, that we confront and so in around the world if we look at how countries have been able to reduce this burden of out-of-pocket expenditure, it has been essentially through public investment, yeah. putting more uh, government resources to uh, healthcare. And there, India's public spending, which is which hovers around 1 to 1.2% of GDP, is uh, one of the worst in the world. Many of our neighboring countries, uh, Sri Lanka, even Nepal, Bhutan, or say Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam, they spend much, much more uh, than what we do. And as you have rightly pointed out, as a consequence, uh, there, there are huge inequalities in access to healthcare or, and the consequences of uh, seeking healthcare are also very adverse. And it definitely uh, affect the marginalized sections of the uh, society adversely than uh, many others. For instance, if we look at, say, what is, the, you know, reporting uh, or seeking health care is a very crucial indicator of 
uh, whether people have access to healthcare or not. And if you look at, uh, say, how many people have been reporting to uh, seek healthcare in the last, say, 15 days or a month, you'll realize that among the poorest section, the uh, reporting of uh, persons uh, who are ill, who are ailing, uh, is much uh, lesser among the poorest uh, two, three quintiles compared to the uh, richer quintiles. And this again uh, is much uh, lower, reporting is much lower in urban areas compared to, uh, uh, sorry, lower in rural areas compared to uh, the urban counterparts. It, uh, uh, health seeking is lower among SCs, STs, OBCs compared to uh, the general castes and others. Similarly, uh, so essentially what I want to say is that similarly for the elderly population, though obviously uh, elderly people fall sick much more compared to the working uh, group, uh, age group people. So that is another matter, but at caste, gender, place of residence and your uh, economic status all create barriers for access to healthcare in the country and uh, if you and obviously it has consequences on people's health so the first thing is that many people are not getting healthcare they need and then when they seek healthcare and because our healthcare system has a very strong, uh, unregulated, fragmented private sector compared to the public provisioning, uh, people end up going to private sector much more in urban areas. And as a result, the consequences of uh, ill health has been uh, that people get pushed to poverty, people uh, borrow uh, from uh, friends, from informal money lenders, or sometimes they are selling assets, they're selling their cattle uh, or say smaller assets and trying to uh, finance the healthcare needs of the near and dear ones. So uh, basically what we, if I want to summarize the situation, I would say that many people do not uh, seek healthcare when they need it, they postpone their uh, health seeking uh, needs because they uh, find it difficult to finance it but when they uh, when the health conditions worsen and they don't have any other choice but to seek health care they face consequences because they have to do it essentially from out of pocket so uh, that's the situation Thank country. you. And yeah. many of our neighbors are doing much better in terms of providing financial protection to its citizens. We have failed very systematically on this. Thank you. Um, thank you so much, sir, for that response. Um, but and, I mean, as you rightly also pointed out, um, you know, you know, because of fact that in many government hospitals also there is a lot less infrastructure. People tend to go to private hospitals which do charge 
a higher uh, rate for the same treatment that you could be given at a government hospital, which pushes them to poverty. But before going back to the question, I was personally intrigued by how other smaller countries, particularly like Sri Lanka and Malaysia, have been, uh, you know, efficiently uh, achieve numerous milestones when it comes to uh, achieving uh, financial security amongst people. Um, so from, from a perspective of policy making, why do you think India has been consistently doing bad when it comes to spending uh, money in healthcare? So like I said, uh, pub our public investment uh, on health is around 1 to 1.2% of GDP. Mm -hmm. Sri Lanka spends 2% of GDP on health. It has come down, but it's still much, much higher than what we are doing. Uh, say Malaysia spends around 2.8% of GDP. China spends 3.6% uh, of GDP. Thailand spends around 3% of GDP. All these countries have systematically built, uh, built a healthcare system which is publicly driven. And the other issue is, um, more focus has been on preventive and primary care services, which are more commonly used services, which can take into account many of the health problems. What we have done in the country is not only our public investment has been low compared to what we need, but also there is a bias towards tertiary health care. So we are very good at setting this, uh, you know, big medical care institutions of high excellence like all india institute of medical science which has given rise to many other not only private healthcare institutions of tertiary care but also uh, it has set up like we have we have been very good in setting up tertiary care institutions whereas we have neglected primary care and that's where the uh, main burden remains but particularly uh, both in rural and urban areas. Though I would like to point out also that all is not so bleak because since the National Rural Health Mission has come into being, not so much the urban component, but the rural health mission, there has been some positive developments in the uh, primary, uh, secondary care in rural areas particularly. So more people are now coming to public sector compared to uh, what they were doing 15 years back. Uh, and then also for certain services like deliveries, vaccination uh, for children, uh, antenatal cares, uh, more people are coming to public sector. But that's not uh, definitely not enough, the uh, positive development. We still need a lot more emphasis on uh, primary, secondary care. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for that insight. Um, though, um, like like you said, um, there is some positive change that's happening uh, when it comes to um, people, especially in rural areas, uh, going more towards public healthcare systems. But um, there's a lot more to be done. And in fact, this data also shows that you know uh, because and, and because it's cited that one of the reasons why many people are pushed into poverty immediately after spending on healthcare is because they go and get access to private he private healthcare systems and they charge more than what is usually charged in other places. 
But when we talk about private institutions, uh, mostly these institutions function with the motto of profits, right? Um, because public healthcare systems function with the motto of achieving equality and equity and from more of a charity perspective rather than a profit perspective that is uh, taken, you, that's usually seen as a motive for private hospitals, which you know, is one of the reasons why they say, you know, why private hospitals charge you more for the same treatment that could be provided in public healthcare systems. But from, an, from, from the view of a policy-making perspective, um, how can these issues of inequality and medical indebtedness can be accommodated within the private, uh, private sector as well, especially uh, with, with, with the fact that they operate with the motive of profits in mind? Um, how, how can we accommodate that? Uh, uh, accommodate policies that tend to reduce indebtedness and uh, okay. inequity. So there, there is an apparent contradiction here. Huh? And uh, your question is very pertinent because our policy direction has been geared towards this. Uh, so the basic issue is that uh, it, it has been uh, empirically, uh, this is also true that a lot more people are depending on private sector uh, today than what was there before. But then uh, a lot of this is because we have systematically cut public investment. We have uh, like worked towards uh, so that the quality of care provided in public hospitals reduces. They don't have medicine, adequate staff, long waiting hours. Uh, so people are pushed out of the public sector. So it is not by chance. They have been systematically pushed out of public sector so that there can be a market for private healthcare. Uh, now, when we see, particularly in urban areas where there is a significant private sector, the idea is through several tax-funded health insurance schemes like Prime Minister's Janarugya Yojana or its predecessors like the Rashtriya Swasbhima Yojana, the idea is that now that there is a private sector, let us pay people's money, let us pay tax money to the private uh, sector so that people can get free care. So idea is people are anyway going to private sector. So now let us try to protect them so that they don't uh, lose money. Now, there are several issues here. First of all, uh, the current evidence, even till the latest round of NSSO data shows that when people are going to private sector, even with these health insurance uh, cards like RSBY, they have not been uh, able to get free care, which was their due. Many people who are genuinely poor and were eligible for this kind of insurance cards are not possessing those cards. Those who possess and go to private sector, they end up spending a lot more money. So that notion of free care in the private sector though it looks very promising, but in reality, this has not happened. Why this has not happened? And you are very correct in your assessment that our private sector uh, is essentially driven by profit. 
you know many countries around the world has predominantly private healthcare delivery system japan uh, germany are examples canada uh, has also but then there the private sector is not for profit sector it is they don't uh, work for profit in healthcare so they are privately owned uh, so that makes a lot of difference in the country uh, even if you have insurance card many poor uh, not so educated section of the society uh, gets cheated or uh, they have to pay informal uh, fees to get care in the private sector so uh, people end up paying much more than what they are supposed to last issue here is that this thing about private sector being present in the country and seeking care from private sector this is a very limited phenomenon what we understand from private sector or uh, the picture is that these big corporate hospitals uh, but then in the, the private sector is very diverse there are these single doctor run small clinics to those super specialty um, hospitals uh, which are corporate run and much of the bigger hospitals uh, private hospitals are in uh, these big metropolitan cities or state capitals tier 2 cities not beyond that beyond the tier 2 cities the private sector we have is unorganized fragmented uh, individual run nursing homes providing very poor quality care and in the time of covid this has been Uh, uh like this has come to us uh, this uh, that the private sector do not have the necessary skills the infrastructure beyond few pockets has been very apparent so the notion of seeking care from for profit private sector uh, uh, giving tax money uh, is essentially problematic it is not able to fulfill any of the uh, objectives that these schemes were uh meant to be uh, fulfilled thank you thank so, you so much for uh, yes sir. um so, no i mean um uh, i think that i think many people say that there are only few things that you could commodify uh in things like healthcare cannot be and cannot, you cannot yes. sell those health profits but thank you sir um just one more observation i also made uh you know while uh, researching for this issue as said many people many people do have a bias towards private healthcare systems unfortunately because um, in the end when it comes to efficient treatment and much in medical infrastructure private hospitals win unfortunately uh, in fact to the extent of even borrowing money uh, taking out as credit and you know spending that on healthcare facilities uh in fact uh, in one of your uh, papers that you uh, co-authored i think this came around 2014 you said that around 20.1% of the people uh, surveyed who had um, you know spent uh, for medical expenses for them uh, the first source was actually borrowing and 35.35% around 35% of those people declared borrowing as the second source to fund medical expenses um and we also do know how 
inequality plays a huge role when it comes to borrowing and financing because people with uh, a, a, a decent collateral are able to uh, you know go and have access to formal financial and borrowing institutions whereas uh, people unfortunately who do not have much collateral have to resort to going to uh, uh, places that are informal in nature and that becomes a, a spiral in itself and people just become poorer and poorer and their financial status just becomes worse and worse so can you give us more insight into uh, how i mean more insight into how inequality and borrowing plays a role and uh, what can what can be done with this regard and and why is this so why do people have just this bias other than you know just medical infrastructure okay. that they would go on and borrow money to okay there are uh, three four. Ah, sorry, I thought I have muted, but I was not. No, no, yeah, sure, uh, sure. There are a the cu couple of issues here. First of all, this perception about better quality care in the private sector. Hmm. Now, uh, there are... So, if we look at quality, there are two broad uh, elements of quality. One is the clinical quality where which is needed for saving lives the medicines that you provide the timely interventions that you provide the kind of uh, other interest uh, support you provide surgery so the basic clinical quality and other element of quality is the service quality where how mm, health professionals are talking to the uh, patients how uh, clean the hospital or dispensaries are, how uh, infections are managed. Huh? So the perception of quality that uh, uh, is like common people uh, or anyone, any citizen for us to uh, judge on the clinical quality becomes very difficult. Whereas the service quality matters for us a lot. Now the thing is, in the private sector, we see that service quality uh, is better, whereas clinical quality uh, is much, much better in the public sector. Now, the, there is a, a relationship. If you have better clinical quality and your outcomes are better, over time, your service quality would also improve. If you provide better service quality, more aware, more uh, well-off citizens come and they demand better healthcare, your quali uh, clinical quality improves. So they, they, they don't go uh, against each other, but there is a synergical way that the uh, quality improves in both the dimensions. Now, what, what we see in the public sector, the poor quality has essentially come from low public investment on elements of not only clinical quality because medicines and many states medicines are not provided in the public hospital though some states are exceptional and doing well on that that becomes one deterrent of clinical quality then you don't have human resources which many doctor nurses positions are vacant so that also shapes the quality of care and then you have uh, not taken adequate attention, given adequate attention to us, cleaning the premises, managing your uh, wastes better. Uh, so service quality also suffers. So that's the reality in the uh, public sector. 
but when it comes to private sector beyond few uh, big hospitals the clinical quality is very very poor uh, many do not have uh, extensive surgical uh, infrastructure or supports essential supports like we see which are needed in the times of covid like uh, ventilators oxygen so and very skilled doctors also are not there in many of the clinics what but then why do people go to these private sector hospitals and end up spending money now there are few reasons for this uh, one is that many of the general uh, private uh, clinics or doctors uh, in the rural areas in urban slums who tend to know the population better they provide good kind of uh, not only not clinical care but better emotional connect with people so you know the local quack better so you can go to her or him any time he would and she he would give you even at times you can you need not give him uh, cash you can uh, you know uh, use his service with credit he gives you a reference to a private hospital when you need uh, some care so there is some kind of connection that the private gps build with the patients and that is very crucial in healthcare and that is missing in the public system the other thing is also the convenience the public system is often uh, uh, one of the thing is that long waiting time because we don't have adequate public provisioning so many people who can particularly afford or who do, cannot also afford to say uh, wait for long wa uh, waiting times end up going to the private sector but then so often what happens is private sector takes cases which are easily manageable and pushes the most difficult the most complicated cases to the public sector uh, so it's essentially there is also a, a a symbiotic relationship between public and private sector where private sector uh, thrives upon the limitations in the public system and also the last point why people go to public sector private sector is that many public sector doctors uh, are also associated with private nursing homes clinics and corporate hospitals so they push the patients to the private sector that is another way but then this perception of quality uh, is not a static thing you know in many states many smaller uh, cities where public sector quality of care is better people don't go to private sector easily so if you are able to provide good quality care within public sector people tend to depend on public sector because they know when they go then do not have choice they will go to the private sector and it has huge consequences on uh, on the uh, in data issues of indebtedness in impoverishment yeah i think i took a long time here i'll stop Thank you. Thank you so much. But that, that was an interesting insight in how you kind of distinguish quality in itself uh, based on how and how hospitals and uh, private hospitals provide uh, uh, services and the quality of medicine. Sector. Um, I think readers and listeners would be enriched with the way how they would now perceive private versus public hospitals now. Uh, but moving on to our next question. Um, 
which is which is uh, one point that was observed by Dr. Katie Plax in her article, Medical Debt, Healthcare Access and Professional Responsibility, where she writes, the risk of medical debt is greater for people without health insurance. But those who are insured are not immune. Many tend to be underinsured. They are nominally covered, but inadequately protected. This point is, uh, I, I personally think is more important to discuss because we are talking about senior citizens here and senior citizens are one of the most uh, economically insecure uh, demographic of the Indian population because um, we have covered this in our previous issues as well, but essentially um, they don't, they don't easily get a job after their retirement, even if it means, even if it means uh, survival for them, right? And it involves a lot of, um, uh, retooling themselves, reskilling, making sure they get the skills adequate in today's times for do all this, uh, and which you know with with um, time and health being constraints that that's not something that they are easily able to do, and uh, even pensions. When it comes to pensions, also our pension system is uh, has its flaws, and uh, they are pretty uh, huge flaws as well. So in that sense, they are very economically insecure. Given that, uh, given this, and given the fact that there are many health insurance schemes like Rashtriya Swastya Bhima Yojana and other private health insurance schemes, do you think Katie, Plake's, uh, Katie Plax's point stands true in the Indian scenario as well? See, uh, I think there are um, many issues and uh, Katie's points are quite valid. First of all, unlike what you tend to, what we tend to believe, our private health insurance market is not very developed. Uh, around, uh, if we take the group insurance, it, it covers around 6% of the total population. And majority of these are <clears throat> from the top 20% uh, of the population. Right? So who are, who are relatively better covered by the private insurance. When it comes to public uh, tax funded insurance schemes like Prime Minister's Janaruga Yojana or its predecessors like RSBY, uh, it has not been able to cover the most needy sections of the society. Huh? So it's supposed to cover the bottom uh, 40% of the population, roughly 50 crore, but a majority of them, 9 out of 10 uh, uh, of the bottom two quintiles are not covered. And like you have pointed out, an overwhelming majority of the elderly people would be uh, uh, in that, uh, would not be covered by any kind of insurance scheme. It, first of all, it is difficult to get yourself enrolled in the private insurance. And also, so uh, when you are relatively high at a higher age, and then when it comes to uh, tax funded insurance, they are, uh, many are not covered. And then there is a large section who are just above poverty line, who are vulnerable, are not covered by either tax funded insurance or the private voluntary insurance. They are equally vulnerable. They're above poverty and elderly population in that section are equally vulnerable. Our uh, pension schemes, our social security benefits are limited to the formal sector workers, which constitute only less than 
10% uh, of the to total population. So overwhelming majority of people tend to, uh, uh, who, are, who have throughout their life worked in the informal sector, tend to also do some work when they cross 65 years of age, trying to survive somehow. And in that milieu, when their healthcare needs are increasing, it becomes very, very difficult. Now, there is another issue with the insurance model that is very relevant for uh, the elderly population. See, many elderly people need care which are chronic in nature. When you have diabetes, when you have cardiovascular diseases, COPD, you need medication for uh, everyday medication like insulin, drugs for blood pressure monitoring throughout your life. Insurance schemes, the current nature of uh, tax-funded insurance or private insurance gives coverage only to ex uh, hospitalization care. The elderly also need hospitalization care, but their need for chronic care is much, much, much more. Often uh, post-hospitalization rehabilitation uh, also needs a lot of their support. They need a lot of home care uh, when people end up be being dependent on others. And that kind of healthcare needs are not being uh, catered to by the private sector, not also in the public sector. Huh? So what we need is that closer to their home, uh, public uh, clinics where they can regularly go and get their medicines for free. They can get their routine checkups done. They can also occasionally consult uh, doctors so that uh, they know that they're in good state of health. That doesn't happen. Then we don't have the social supports which can be provided in a rehabilitation home-based care situation. So it is, uh, and then like we know, our uh, demography is moving towards a uh, higher percentage of elderly population, like it happens throughout the world. And so we need to really think seriously about how to provide better uh, social security and better healthcare protection for the elderly population. And we are doing particularly badly if we compare many of other Asian countries. Thank you. Thank you so much for that insight, sir. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, it is uh, something something that people uh, would be shocked to know, actually, uh, that even private uh, insurance companies are not doing well. And um, and uh, when it comes to covering people in general. Uh, with this thought, let's get into the second theme because it kind of is uh, like, a, it, it follows the same train of thought. So the second uh, theme is on public policy and universal healthcare coverage. Um, this is one thing that we have been discussing since the beginning of the podcast, which is how uh, bad the infrastructure, especially when it comes to financial uh, uh, security and financial access to healthcare uh, is in India. And there have been many solutions that have been uh, given by different policymakers that includes uh, essential rebuilding of the health infrastructure itself and strengthening it. And the second, or, uh, second is also to have a tax-based universal uh, 
health insurance system in place so that uh, in everyone who pays their taxes and everyone who needs access to healthcare uh, can avail um, um, universally without any barriers in place. So uh, one thing that uh, the present government has done is to bring in this uh, uh, this Himalayan and uh, scheme called the Aishman Bharat scheme, which is very ambitious uh, in, in the way it's uh, portraying itself. Uh, one of one of the way it uh, tries to address uh, healthcare inequalities is one to uh, you know uh, have a major overhaul in place uh, in medical infrastructure but number two is also to integrate different uh, health insurance systems together to create a, even more a blanket and a universal health insurance system so do you think uh, Aishman Bharat scheme uh, which is currently one of the flagship programs of this uh, Narendra Modi government do you think this scheme could be said as a major overhaul in the good direction towards achieving medical inequality? And uh, given the situation of senior citizens, especially, uh, and how precarious the situation of them in terms to financial insecurity, what's in there for senior citizens? And how does Aishman Bharat scheme specifically benefit the senior citizens? Okay, uh, very pertinent question, I must say. Uh, but let me uh, try to explain the Ayushman Bharat scheme. It has, like you said, there are two components. One is the uh, Prime Minister's Janarogya Yojana, which is a tax-funded insurance scheme. I have already uh, spelled out the limitations of the scheme and how it, it, can, it is not the well-designed one. Uh, to be able to provide financial protection. I can come back to it uh, later, but let me also highlight the other important component of the uh, Ayushman Bharat, which are the health and wellness center. The idea is that we have this sub-centers at the level of three to 5,000 population. Sub-centers so far provided care related to maternal and child health. Uh, so vaccination, antenatal care, postnatal care, basic checkup of mothers and children. The, now the subcenters are being expanded to cover non-communicable diseases. So now some basic medicines for NCDs, non-communicable diseases should be available at the sub, at the health and wellness center. There would be some basic tests available, blood test, uh, BP test, sugar test, some basic uh, uh, tests so that people can be screened on time and tested on time. And then if they need, they can be referred to uh, the higher up facilities. Now, conceptually, and there are many other elements in the uh, health and wellness center. Conceptually, I, we need to acknowledge that the health and wellness centers uh, is a program which has huge potential, particularly for the elderly section because it caters to some of their important health needs. It needs much more expansion. It needs much uh, uh, better thinking and implementation, but at least concept is very, very good. 
problem is since this scheme was introduced there is very very little progress over the last 3 4 years very little investment has been made you know current allocation towards health and wellness center has been around 1900 crores and this remains same for last two financial years whereas the idea was that by 2020 1.5 lakh uh, health and wellness centers uh, sub centers will be converted to health and wellness centers we are far far below that target because not adequate money is being put into the program now that's a, so though i would say this is this uh, is, has a, a huge Uh, potential to provide good quality care primary care for the elderly section of the population the scheme has been uh, running out of fund it has not been prioritized adequately uh, and uh, it has not been backed up by investment whereas we see a lot more effort towards this uh, tax funded health insurance schemes where it, the essential idea is that you bring private sector into the care provisioning of the uh and pay public money as, uh, from the uh, from exchequer to uh, get it funded the issue is if you look at uh, the situation in the covid time the government thought that pmjy uh, if we include uh, covid care in the prime uh, pmjy care package then most of our healthcare uh, needs would be solved but we saw that during the covid time pmjy scheme was completely shut down there was hardly any utilization because people couldn't access care and because private sector failed to deliver care so any delivery model of healthcare where you are essentially doling out money to the private sector is going is not going to be effective in india what we need because that's your uh, last point that what you need is strengthening our public investment see when you are uh, giving uh, say uh, 25 30000 or say 1 lakh rupees for care related to uh, 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 under pmjy for a family uh, it can be up to 5 lakh once you pay that money and the service has been provided There, there is no long term return from that investment so it is essentially a one time uh, expenditure but when you build your public system when you provide medicines to the public system or say you create human resource in the public sector you create infrastructure in the private sector you create diagnostics facilities in the private sector every money you are putting in has long term investment and better value for money and what we need is instead of depending on the for profit private sector is more and more public investment to strengthen public sector we need schemes like mohalla clinic or health and wellness center being expanded introduced but then these schemes are not perfect by the way they need to be integrated into the public system there needs to be better coordination between uh, health and wellness center and the primary care center or the district hospital and they need to be better resourced so that good quality care can be provided 
Thank you. Thank you so much for um, that insight, sir. Um, uh, we are here to discuss the very last question, uh, actually, but this is more like a food for thought um, for people who are listening to this really long but enriching conversation that we are having. So, but what, according to you, is actually the barriers of achieving universal healthcare system in India? And uh, though we, we have discussed more in detail about the ways with, with, in, through which we could address them, but what specifically are those problems um, that are plaguing India when it comes to achieving universal health care? Okay, very quickly here and very bulleted. Uh, uh, so the main, main barrier is public investment on health. We need to step up. Uh, it cannot be done with 1.2% of GDP. We need to spend at least 2.5% of GDP. We need to reach to 2.5% of GDP in next five years, and then eventually spend around 3 to 3.5 in the longer term or medium term. And that's the first thing you need to do. And the second here is to um, improve the quality of care in the public system. How do you do that? We have huge vacancies of nurses, doctors, other paramedical staff. We need to fulfill them. The COVID time has taught us that we don't have uh, many preventive public health uh, officers or uh, public health cadre. We need to fill these vacancies. Delhi has Delhi such a resource rich state, the municipal corporations have much more money, but they have eight out of 10 uh, posts of public health professionals vacant. We need to fill this post. Uh, we need to improve the uh, mechanism of medicine procurement, distribution, diagnostics, so that when people come, they not only get a prescription from a doctor, but gets all the need needed medicines and tests in the same facility. So, you know, comprehensive care is what is crucial. But then at the same time, we need to change the direction of uh, healthcare delivery and accountability mechanism. We need pro people, decentralized planning and uh, of healthcare. We need better accountability of the health system towards the people so that you know uh, people can demand better care and the health system responds to people's needs had that been the case if we had a better responsive health system we could have avoided this uh, human calamity that we are facing in terms of covid today this is uh, the la other important point is that we need to regulate the private sector very comprehensively, very systematically, so that the you know the practices, the kind of exploitation uh, that happens in the private sector, the way they induce demand on people of unnecessary care, they charge or overcharge to patients for the care they need. If we cannot. Uh, curtail, uh, curtail uh, those uh, practices if you don't regulate the private sector uh, delivery system and push the private sector towards some form of uh, solidarity, some form of public health goals uh, where healthcare is less commercialized, we may not be able to do much. Now, the, la the last point I would like to make 
is that all of this will not be done unless you have your focus on equity dimensions. We need more people uh, in the healthcare professionals. We need more doctors, nurses coming from the most deprived sections of the society, uh, in, from the most backward districts, from the uh, Dalit communities, the tribal communities, because current set of healthcare medical care professionals are from a section of elites of the society who serve the upper middle class, who are from that class, who stay in urban areas, in the comfort zones of urban areas, they, who are comfortable doing very high quality uh, clinical care, whereas they are not equipped to cater to the public health, primary basic needs of healthcare. Uh, for a large section of the society. So we need to orient our healthcare system towards a pro-people uh, primary care delivery mechanism from the very high-end tertiary care, technically driven healthcare that we have currently in India. And all of these are political questions, essentially. We need our uh, political system to somehow raise those demands. We as citizens, we need to be more aware about our health rights and demand better uh, accountability from government, ensure that health rights are uh, provided. Then that, that is how you can probably ensure that better care is provided to the elderly, to the Dalits, to the women, to the minorities or poorer sections of the society. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for those uh, wonderful points, sir. Um, and I think uh, my learning, especially from this conversation, is that um, though as much as we would love to like to talk about uh, and as much as we want to try the conversation uh, with respect to senior citizens and their access to healthcare, this is not just a problem for senior citizens. This is a common problem faced by each and every person in this country. Um, and something uh, that is more important for policymakers to look into. And uh, it's important for uh, policymakers and us citizens in general uh, to realize how important healthcare is and how important access to healthcare and financial institutions that should be helping us to get access to these healthcare facilities are important for everyone, but especially for the senior citizens as well. With this final note, um, we would like to end the conversation here. Um, I'd like to thank- Siddharth, can I add yes, one sir. last point? Because I think sure, that's sure, a very crucial yes, point. Yes. And I'll be yes, very sir. brief here. See, one sure, sure. of the very important thing about healthcare is it is about care. Huh? So caring people, caring with empathy, with solidarity is essential. And for the elderly section of the people, it is uh, the not only the clinical elements, but the caring dimensions are very, very crucial. We are missing care in the entire system of health delivery. Uh, we need to establish that. And that can only happen when you uh, gear the entire health system towards uh, care and towards empathy and solidarity. 
I'll stop with these words. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much for the final point. And yeah, I mean, that that's also one of the most important points that we have to keep in mind. It's health care. And care is a more important word here because it involves love, affection, solidarity, as you said. And uh, I think it's important for us all to realize that uh, from a policymaking perspective as well, it is important for both public and private to be cognitive of the fact that many people out there are, have very less access to financial instruments that would enable them to have get access to many of these medical facilities. And um, I'm grateful uh, for having this conversation regarding the same. And I hope all the listeners here uh, learn um, the, the issues plaguing the healthcare system and the financial system in India and be conscious and uh, make their choices and uh, voice out uh, as citizens and try to make their uh, part in uh, improving all these systems together. So Professor Indrani, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much everyone for tuning in to this podcast. Uh, We will do many more in the upcoming uh, months. So please stay tuned for those as well. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you so much, Siddharth. Thanks for doing this and all the best for your future and viewers. Thank you. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, sir. Please take care. You too.